Fefonia, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day, welcome to episode 54 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 20th of February 2021. For the many tens of thousands of Australians stuck overseas still, getting home in a timely manner and for an affordable price has become a huge challenge. This was made even worse last week by the Victorian government's decision to suspend all international arrivals into that state yet again, which has effectively reduced the capacity of hotel quarantine in Australia by 1,310 people per week. Later in this episode, travel agent Alan Lamb will share his tips and up-to-date advice for people trying to fly to Australia at the moment. There are some flight options available, including for travel next month, but you do need to know where to look. Also coming up, there's a new way to earn points when paying tax with an American Express credit card while paying a surcharge of just 1.5%. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. And firstly, Rex and Virgin Australia have become embroiled in a bitter price war ahead of Rex launching Boeing 737 flights between Melbourne and Sydney in just over a week. From Monday the 1st of March, Rex will fly five times a day between Sydney and Melbourne using leased ex-Virgin Australia Boeing 737-800s. Rex had started selling economy seats for $79 one way and business class from $299, but last week Rex discounted its prices even further to $49 in economy or $199 for business class, which is kind of unheard of. That price includes checked baggage for all passengers and a snack and a drink on board, including for economy class. Now that sale ends on the 28th of February and covers travel dates throughout March. Virgin Australia quickly matched with $49 economy class and $199 business class fares as well for travel during March. Jetstar is now selling Melbourne to Sydney flights from $39 one way, which is even cheaper, although that price does not include checked baggage. Qantas, meanwhile, has reduced its economy class ticket prices on that route during March to $110, although business class fares during March are still uh, quite high at $923, so they're clearly not matching uh, on price at the moment. And perhaps Qantas feels like it doesn't have to match on price because uh, it recently introduced hot meals during uh, meal times on many domestic routes in economy class, and it will bring them back on all remaining routes from next month. In addition, alcoholic beverages are now complimentary on all Qantas flights. Previously, they were free on some routes like Sydney to Perth or on any route out of Canberra. But on other routes, like the former City Flyer routes, you know, Brisbane to Melbourne, for example, they were only free after 4pm on weekdays. The change means that you'll no longer need to grab $6 from your wallet if you'd like a glass of wine or a beer on board your Qantas flight, even if you're flying in economy. Qantas is also bringing out a limited edition centenary beer, which is brewed by James Squire. Qantas this week announced three new domestic routes, which will begin operating on the 1st of April. The regional subsidiary Qantas Link will operate the new direct flights between Melbourne and Coffs Harbour, Brisbane and Coffs Harbour, and Canberra to Ballina Byron Bay. 
Virgin Australia also announced two new routes this week, which will be operated over the Easter school holidays and may be extended as long as state borders remain open and there's demand. Those flights will be from Melbourne to Ballina and from Adelaide to the Sunshine Coast. Qantas and Virgin Australia have also both extended the flexibility available on new domestic flight bookings. With both airlines, bookings made any time until at least the 30th of April can be changed an unlimited number of times without paying any fees until the end of January next year. You can also choose to cancel for a credit voucher without paying any extra fees. Similar flexibility also applies to reward bookings made using frequent flyer points, except that you can also cancel those for a full refund of the points and taxes without paying any fees. Overseas now, and the national carrier of Namibia, Air Namibia, was placed into liquidation last week. All flights were cancelled and bookings were taken down after the Namibian government decided that the airline's mounting debt had become unsustainable. Although COVID-19 has worsened Air Namibia's financial problems, it was already in financial trouble for quite a few years before now. There were media reports that Air Namibia could immediately declare its insolvency back in September of 2019, although those were denied by the airline at the time. And it continued to operate until now, despite 15 of the airline's 19 routes being estimated to be loss-making. Air Namibia will compensate its 644 employees with one year's worth of salaries. Meanwhile, in South Africa, which neighbours Namibia, South African Airways could emerge from bankruptcy in the coming weeks after receiving repeated government bailouts and now securing a new equity partner. Air New Zealand has been forced to defend its refund policy after it initially refused refunds for passengers affected by the airline's recent Norfolk Island flight cancellations. Over the past month, the Australian government has twice had to temporarily suspend quarantine-free arrivals from New Zealand due to new COVID-19 outbreaks in Auckland. Each time this has happened, Air New Zealand has cancelled its flights between mainland Australia and Norfolk Island because it says that its crew would be unable to operate these flights without first quarantining in Australia for two weeks. Air New Zealand currently has the licence to operate flights from Sydney and Brisbane to Norfolk Island, and it's the monopoly operator on this route. Now, the first time Air New Zealand had to cancel its Norfolk Island flights, passengers were initially told they could not get a refund, only a credit or a date change. Air New Zealand later agreed to refund those specific Norfolk Island passengers as a gesture of goodwill. But it stands by its policy that it's not legally required to refund passengers whose flights are affected by government restrictions like border closures. This has been Air New Zealand's policy since the beginning of the pandemic, and it's um, what it's part of their conditions of carriage. And there are still ten, uh, many thousands of Air New Zealand customers who haven't received refunds as a result for cancelled flights. This issue has been quite controversial in New Zealand over the last year. According to New Zealand's Commerce Commission, Air New Zealand was the most complained about company in New Zealand last year. Now, last year, Air New Zealand did eventually agree to refund tickets covered by United States laws after they got a complaint from Consumer NZ. And the airline also says it issues some refunds on compassionate grounds. But customer advocates in New Zealand have recently been pushing Air New Zealand to review its what they call its hardline refund policy and also to clarify how long passengers' travel credits will be honoured. Unlike Air New Zealand, Qantas's policy is to refund flights uh, cancelled by the airline. So once New Zealand's international border reopens, this is certainly going to be something worth considering when you're thinking about booking trans-Tasman travel. 
Now, I would point out that when Air New Zealand did have to cancel flights to Norfolk Island again this week, passengers were this time quickly reaccommodated on special replacement Qantas flights, which were put up quite quickly. The first doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine to arrive in Australia have touched down at Sydney Airport last Monday. The vaccine doses, which must be stored at a temperature of around minus 70 degrees Celsius, arrived on a Singapore Airlines flight. The COVID-19 vaccination rollout will begin in Australia next Monday. Virgin Australia will open its new lounge at Adelaide Airport next Tuesday. Qantas frequent flyers can now save up to 30,000 Qantas points when booking classic rail rewards for travel on the GAN between Adelaide, Alice Springs and Darwin until the 31st of March. And finally, here's a bit of travel inspiration for when the pandemic is over. It takes around nine hours to fly from Delhi to London, but you wouldn't see anywhere near as much just on a direct flight between India and the UK as you would if you booked a ticket on the new Adventures Overland bus tour from Delhi to London. Over 70 days, up to 20 tour participants will visit 18 countries across Southeast Asia, China, Central Asia and Europe, taking in sites along the way like the Great Wall of China, Moscow's Red Square and the ancient city of Samarkand in Uzbekistan. The journey takes place aboard a luxury modified bus, although travellers do get to sleep in hotels or guest houses on each night. And there's a mixture of planned sightseeing and rest days throughout the journey. Tour participants can choose to take the full 70-day journey or join one of four legs, which it's broken up into. The full journey from Delhi to London or vice versa would cost around 26000 Australian dollars, so it's not exactly budget travel, but this does include accommodation and most other expenses, so actually for 70 days the value's not too bad. Uh, and Adventures Overland also takes care of many of the visa applications that you need to make. The first trip from Delhi to London was scheduled to depart in May 2021, but it's probably going to be delayed due to the pandemic. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. Now, normally at this point, I'd ask you to follow us on Facebook to keep up with the latest frequent flyer news and updates. But like most Australian publishers, we have been caught up in Facebook's recent dummy spit against the Australian government's proposed media bargaining code. As a result, you may have noticed that access to the content on our Facebook page has been restricted and Facebook is no longer allowing its users to share our articles. So with that in mind, I'd like to just take this opportunity to remind you that you can still get all of our latest articles and guides directly to your email inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette. So if you haven't already subscribed, I'd really encourage you to take a moment to do so right now. There is a link in the episode notes of this podcast directly to the page where you can sign up. Or alternatively, if you visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au, scroll down the homepage a little bit, you'll see there's a box on the right-hand side of the page where you can put in your name and email address to subscribe to the Gazette. And by the way, if you've been enjoying the content on our website or in this podcast, please do tell a friend. And if you'd like to also support this podcast, it would really help us out a lot if you'd take just a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcast. Those reviews make a huge difference to Apple's algorithm, and the more reviews we get, the more people Apple will tell this podcast about. So we'd really appreciate that. Well, if you're currently overseas and trying to get back to Australia, you'll know very well how much of a struggle it's been. 
Joining me on this episode of the podcast is travel agent extraordinaire Alan Lamb, who is also known as Mad Rooster on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. And Alan has been on this podcast previously. The last time was in episode 32, but I thought it'd be good to bring him back on to talk about the current situation and what people can do if they're trying to come back to Australia now. Welcome, Alan. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, So, I guess, first of all... What are the rules at the moment if you are overseas and you do want to come back to Australia? It's not just as simple as getting on a flight like it, it was in pre-COVID times, is it? Yes, there's a number of changes that have happened uh, in the past 12 months where you now need to have uh, yeah, a negative COVID test to get into the country. You can also only get in uh, generally as a, a permanent resident or a citizen of Australia. Uh, obviously, there's some exemptions that also apply. Um, and there's a number of other you know, rules and regulations along the way in terms of you know, what countries you can transit, what airlines you can fly. And uh, this is an ever-changing you know, um, scenario as well. You know, we've had a number of changes even in the last three or four weeks. Yeah. And you need to get, of course, a COVID test, I believe, within 72 hours of departure and, and obviously produce a negative result. That's correct. Uh, you do need to uh, obtain a negative PCR test result with the sample taken no earlier than 72 hours before your first flight's departure. So if you're flying from, say, London to Dubai and Dubai to Australia, the departure time out of London is the uh, time that is used for the 72 hours. Yeah. And in terms of actually um, getting on a flight and actually securing a a seat back to Australia, that's probably the hardest part at the moment. I mean, we've heard so many stories about people getting bumped from flights that they've booked. You know, they had confirmed tickets and the airlines bumped them off their flight. Um, And a lot of airlines are also selling tickets for travel, you know, in in the coming weeks and months, which they're probably going to cancel uh, and then leaving people possibly without a refund as well. So how do you know... uh, like which airlines are actually running and and which tickets uh, are you know most likely to actually get you a seat back to Australia. That's a tough question, Matt. Um, and there's a lot of airlines that, uh, in fact, most airlines, to be honest, have still got their pre-COVID um, airline schedules still loaded. Uh, sorry, flight schedules still loaded uh, in and in, in the systems around the world. And so, therefore, you know, for example, obviously Qantas has uh, you know, started listing their flights from first uh, of July onwards for international, which you know, I think most people think that's probably not going to operate. But there's a lot of other airlines who are only really cancelling and changing and firming their schedules about, you know, one to two months out uh, from the flight uh, time. And so, you know, you, you can very well book a flight for, say, November later in the year, but you know, at the moment, you know, what you see schedule-wise, and you'll see you know, there might be two, three flights a day, these are flights that are actually the same as what was in a, what the schedule was pre-COVID, so back in you know, 2019 and even early 2020. And so this schedule is obviously quite likely to, you know, quite unlikely, as I should say, to operate in the end because of all the restrictions that the Australian government has in place. Uh, similarly, a lot of other countries around the world have similar restrictions and, you know, these these schedules can change very wildly between, say, now and November, for, uh, for example. Yeah, and of course we saw even just in the last week Melbourne stopped accepting international arrivals, so anyone with an international ticket into Melbourne over the last week uh, would have been bumped from their flight at, at quite short notice. I guess, are there any particular airlines or uh, also transit countries? Um, most of the flights to Australia do operate via third countries, which are particularly reliable or unreliable at the moment. Uh, there's a number of airlines who, you know, uh, have also made threats about, you know, pulling out of Australia due to the, you know, there's not enough passengers, not enough revenue, not enough cargo and so forth, you know, um, you know with the restrictions that were recently placed uh, for part of January and early February, 
uh, with the number of passengers allowed in and the caps being reduced. You know, mm-hmm. there were some airlines like American Airlines, uh, I think, was possibly thinking about reducing or reducing their services, uh, possibly even pulling out. Uh, I think Delta was possibly considering the same. Emirates obviously um, quite publicly pulled the dummy spit and decided to pull out for a few days. And then came back a week later. And came back a week later, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, some of these airlines, um, there's more, some airlines that, you know, do more of a knee-jerk reaction than others. Um, some are quite reliable. And, you know, at the moment, you know, Cathay Pacific has otherwise been, for example, has been quite reliable up until, you know, uh, when the Hong Kong government decided to imp- uh, impose a 14-day quarantine on crew. And ultimately, that has a, uh, quite drastically affected Cathay Pacific schedule into Australia. So, yeah, I believe they're just doing now one flight a week to Sydney. Correct. Uh, at the moment, it's they're still operating some cargo flights as well um, on top of the one flight um, per, uh, per week to Sydney. But that one flight per week to Sydney at the moment is just the, the only one that's operating with passenger services. Yeah. Uh, actually taking passengers. Yeah. Um, a big issue with that uh, at the moment is uh, that one flight per week may possibly completely disappear uh that's that's always a big risk with the way things are going uh yeah there's a, a big risk with a lot of Cathay pacific crew potentially calling in sick uh, deliberately to avoid having to do the 14-day quarantine um, and this is ultimately going to potentially affect reliability with Cathay pacific and so at the moment i would actually even though previously i would have said Cathay pacific was quite reliable they probably would be now the least reliable as arguably to get into australia yeah i believe qatar airways though has been pretty good Qatar's been generally pretty good. Um, they uh, they were definitely known to have uh, uh, quite some um, drastic procedures as far as um, you know, bumping people off early on in the piece. But um, yeah, they seem to have reduced a lot of those instances from happening these days. Uh, so I definitely heard a lot less bumping going on with Qatar Airways. Um, although I have also seen cases where Qatar has you know, cancelled some services, but definitely not as many as. Uh, other airlines and definitely not as uh, sudden as say Emirates for example No and coming over from the US I think also United has cancelled very few passenger flights. Uh, I would say United uh, Delta's got less services than United but Delta uh, has been quite reliable Uh, so has United Uh, American Airlines did have some issues for a little while um, but I think they seem to have sorted that out Um, they seem to have been uh, reasonably reliable again. What about Air New Zealand? Uh, Air New Zealand's a bit of an interesting one though they've they have definitely been operating services, um, and quite reliably so, especially from New Zealand, uh, except uh, I have heard of um, or read about a number of situations where people have tried to check in for a New Zealand services where, say, they were flying a routing uh, from uh, LA to uh, Auckland, Auckland to Sydney, uh, where they've been denied check-in at uh, Los Angeles because uh, apparently New Zealand's not taking transit passengers to Australia anymore, which I don't believe is actually correct. Uh, if you are actually an Australian citizen. So there's, there's, there seem to have been some issues with uh, Air New Zealand checking agents, you know, incorrectly denying people boarding as well. Um, I've heard of it happening in Hong Kong as well. Uh, so even though they've been quite reliable, there's, there's been obviously some teething issues with checking stuff. Yeah, and you mentioned before that a lot of airlines are just operating cargo flights. So I guess like if you're looking on flight radar and you see that a flight is appears to be operating, it could just be a cargo flight. So it doesn't mean that the airline is actually operating flights with passengers to Australia. That's correct. Uh, because of the fact that uh, governments have to approve uh, of an airline's plan, uh, so you know that go boils down to every little detail like flight numbers and uh, route taken and stops along the way and so forth. And all of these have to, you know, obviously uh, still conform with the air services agreements between the various countries. Uh, as a result, 
you know, it's a lot easier for an airline to operate a cargo flight under a, what used to be a passenger flight number. Um, and this is simply because they don't have to uh, reapply for approvals and refile plans and so forth. And so for them, uh, for the airlines, it's a lot easier to get a flight going if they simply use, reuse an existing flight number that they normally would already have approval for. Uh, unfortunately, what that means is that a lot of uh, websites like FlightAware, FlightStats, um, even uh, a lot of airport websites are, in, uh, are not quite correct when it comes to uh, looking for information about whether a, actual, a, a flight is actually operating as a passenger service or not. Uh, for example, with the, uh, with the fact that Victoria is currently not accepting any international arrivals, uh, if you have a look at the Melbourne airport website, you'll see that these flights are still coming in as the passenger flight numbers, but they're absolutely not taking any passengers. So I guess for anyone listening who is uh, trying to book a flight back to Australia, do you have any advice for them or tips on what they can do to reduce the chances that they will get bumped off the flight? Uh, I've seen a number of uh, situations where people have booked uh, a ticket quite early. Uh, so, you know, if they're not planning them uh, coming back to Australia until, say, later in the year, say, for example, September, you know, they might go and look at a ticket now and book it now. Um, there's a, there's two, diff- two key issues with this. The first issue is that, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, uh, most airlines have not firmed up their schedules. And so or what you're seeing online you know, in terms of the flights that you can pick from uh, is definitely the pre-COVID schedule. And when it's a pre-COVID schedule, you also don't know what's going to actually operate in the end. Um, you know, these flights may completely get cancelled. These flights may operate. Um, some flight numbers are more likely to operate than others. Uh, so, and this is something that, you know, may well entire, uh, sorry, entail a fair amount of research um, and evidently a lot of risk as well. Mm. Uh, the second issue is uh, when you book early, uh, obviously the prices will be low. You know, they may load sale fares. They may, um, you know, a lot of the cheaper advanced purchase fares, the ones that you, you have to book, say, more than, more than 90 days before departure, these fares will generally be available uh, quite far out. And um, when you book these sort of fares, these fares are quite low as far as um, the uh, the ranking as far as revenue is concerned at an airline. And so these are ultimately going to be bottom of the pile uh, come closer to departure date. And if an airline's looking to bump passengers, the first ones that they'll target are the cheapest tickets. And unfortunately, that means that people will get bumped. And I have seen a number of scenarios where people have booked a lot, um, sorry, booked quite ahead um, for their flights. You know, they may book six months out. And these flights are ultimately the ones that they're being bumped from as a result of them booking early and getting, you know, it's nice to get a bug, but at the same time, if it's not going to get you home, it's going to potentially set you back even more time because, you know, the next available flight after that maybe not for another three months. And that means you've got to pay for another three months worth of rent and so forth and other living costs. And it may well become quite expensive after that. Yeah, and we have seen quite a few times where, you know, governments have quite short notice reduced the number of passengers that the airlines are allowed to bring on on the flights. And then obviously the passenger, the, the airlines will have a certain number of passengers booked on those flights and they have to choose which ones they're going to take and which ones they're going to leave behind. Um, and so you're saying that price, the price of the ticket is the main consideration when the airlines decide uh, who to bump and who to actually bring onto the plane? Uh, it definitely is the main consideration, but uh, also not the only consideration. Um, I have seen some airlines take into account status. Uh, so if you've got, uh, if you've still got status with a particular alliance or airline, uh, that may be helpful as well, and may help from uh, help you from being uh, bumped. Um, similarly, if you've got say multiple passengers, uh, ideally if you can have everyone on one booking, uh, then they, you know, if one of those passengers has status, then you know you will hopefully be protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you've got separate bookings, then you know they may. They may see one booking has a passenger status, but the other one doesn't, and the other one may get bumped, and you may all get split up. 
As far as the uh, price factor, uh, some airlines look at the price factor more than others. Um, some airlines don't even look at it at all. It, it, it varies a lot. And uh, ultimately what it comes down to is the cheapest tickets generally get bumped first uh, regardless. And that seems to be the pattern at every single airline. Yeah, so I guess to get, you know, not a guaranteed seat, but a higher chance of getting a seat back to Australia, you would need to be booking a more expensive ticket, possibly a business class or even a first class ticket. How much do you think uh, you would need to spend, say, coming from Europe to Australia to actually have a decent chance of getting on the plane? Um, I don't think, I personally don't think first class is absolutely necessary. I, I personally have not booked anyone on first class to come back to Australia. Um, I, I've been quite successful in booking people in both economy and premium economy to come back. Um, okay. I think I've only ever booked one passenger in business to come back. So despite you know a lot of what is posted on the internet, it is well and truly possible to come back in economy and it well and truly is possible to come back in premium economy. Um, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend coming back in premium economy. It means that you are definitely not the bottom of the ranks, uh, and you know, you're well and truly away, well and truly away from the bottom of the ranks, um, and as a result, you know it means that your chances of coming back uh, are quite high. I, I won't say 100%, but you know I've I've generally found, at least with my passengers, it's been um, well and truly over 95%. Uh, as far as pricing, uh, economy generally runs uh, for a one-way ticket. It's generally about uh, 2000 2500 to uh, get a flexible economy ticket. Uh, these are the top of the economy uh, uh, fare rankings, and so therefore these are you know, quite likely to fly unless the airline has to drastically reduce the number of people on their flights. Uh, premium economy is, again, a notch higher. That's generally about 3000 3500 depending on your departure port out of Europe, uh, but it's generally pretty consistent. Okay. So if um, you do get bumped off the flight, are airlines, I know you said that you, your passengers mostly have been successful in coming back to Australia, which is really good, but I don't know if you've heard, like for people that are getting bumped, are they getting informed of this uh, very short, like with, with uh, much notice before the departure time? And if you do get bumped, like what can you do? Unfortunately, the, the biggest issue with this is that, um, you know, sometimes the, you, you'll get plenty of warning. You could get three, four months warning, um, you know, when the airline cancels it quite far ahead. But uh, I've also seen a number of cancellations happen, you know, even less than four weeks away. Um, and so even though, you know, you might have booked the ticket at six weeks out, eight weeks out, um, you may well have a situation where, you know, it all looks good and it all looks rosy, but, you know, come three weeks before departure, you'll get your cancellation email. And a lot of this is to do with caps being firmed up uh, by the government. And mm-hmm. all, some of it's also to do with, you know, they can't find sufficient load, there's no cargo, there's not enough re- revenue, so they just cancel the flight because of, you know, f- uh, financial reasons. Um, it's it's quite tough to really, you know, determine what that may, uh, reasoning may be, but it could be for a, a whole list of reasons. Uh, as far as airlines helping um, helping the rebook, I've noticed Qatar Airways seems to have been a bit more proactive uh, lately about rebooking people, particularly people who are supposed to fly into Melbourne uh, with the current restriction on international arrivals in Melbourne. Uh, other airlines simply just send you the cancellation email and you, it's up to you to sort it out, uh, which is a bit unfortunate. Yeah, and so so I guess it depends on the airline. Have Qatar been um, sending people to other cities other than Melbourne? Yes, I've seen a number of scenarios where people have been sent to uh, Brisbane, uh, not so much Sydney, uh, and a fair few seem to have ended up in Adelaide and a couple of Perth. Uh, so they seem to have been distributed where a lot of it's, and to be honest, a lot of it's happening, um, you know, 24 hours, even 48 hours out. And that's uh, that time frame is roughly when the government does actually firm up the, uh, the exact caps that the uh, airlines will be subject to. So there's a, there's a general cap that, you know, there's a general number that's given to the airlines and, you know, the airlines will work with that until about 48 hours before departure. 
And that's when the government will say, okay, you have exactly 37 spots or 39 spots or you know, what that exact number may be. And that's when the airline will know exactly, okay, we have five spots left to Brisbane. And so we can fill those five spots with people that were originally going to Melbourne. Uh, okay. I guess for other people, though, it probably means getting to the airport and then being told actually they don't have a seat, which is probably a bit annoying if you've just paid several hundred dollars for a COVID test in the, in the last 72 hours and then told that you can't actually return to Australia. And I mean, in the case of uh, other airlines, it could just mean that, you know, you, you might be fighting for months to get a refund, if at all, maybe you get a credit and and then you're stuck trying to book another flight, which might not be available for months. So it's it's not a great situation. Correct. Uh, it is. It's definitely one of those sort of scenarios. And um, there's been a number of cases where people have um, not received cancellation emails and so they didn't realize that the flight was cancelled so i absolutely would recommend that people check their bookings actively um, mm-hmm. to make sure that their flights are still confirmed and uh, if you do look at your booking on an, on the airline website you obviously see that you know the flight's been cancelled or it's still confirmed and generally if you, you know, the faster you get in to be able to rebook yourself um, the sooner you possibly will be able to get home yeah. Now, in this hierarchy of, um, we talked about, you know, the fact that airlines are going to be more likely to take you if you've got a higher yielding fare or a premium cabin ticket. What about award seats? Is there any chance at all that you're going to get back to Australia, you know, using points to book an award seat at the moment? Funnily enough, I actually did see uh, a Qatar flight into Melbourne back in, uh, I think it was last month in January, that actually had um, U-Class, which is a business class award seat. Oh, wow. Um, which was a massive surprise to me. I honestly didn't expect that to happen, but um, yeah, maybe that was a system error or something, but uh, I it really would not recommend booking award seats at the moment. It is really not the time for this. No, that's right. So would it be beneficial if you are trying to come back to Australia to book with a travel agent? Like, Would there be any benefit over just booking directly with the airline or through an online travel agent? As much as an online travel, uh, travel agent may uh, well be my competitor, the first thing I would not recommend uh, is to book with an online travel agent. Unfortunately, a lot of these online travel agents uh, you know, have call centers in places like India, the Philippines, and so forth. And uh, a lot of these uh, call center agents are not very well equipped you know, to handle you know, such a unique scenario of traveling to Australia where there's so many restrictions and arrival caps and things like that. You know, a lot of them aren't even aware of this, these particular restrictions. Uh, so that's definitely... You know, um, Definitely something to to avoid is to book, book uh, with an online travel agent. Um, another another thing to avoid is to avoid using sites like Skyscanner, uh, you know, flight compar- uh, aggregators or uh, comparison websites. You know, these ultimately are sending you to um, to these same online travel agents. And I've seen a number of scenarios where you know, Skyscanner will throw up a lot of um, uh, flight options that just aren't possible you know like for example if you're flying home from europe you can't transit the us and yet i've seen a number of uh results from skyscanner where you know show you flying from london to los angeles and los angeles to australia it's not just skyscanner actually i was reading a couple of weeks ago in the city morning herald i think it was they had an article explaining how difficult it was for people coming back from europe and they were trying to demonstrate how expensive the flights were and so they were showing that the next available like how much the next available flights were and there were all of the flights they suggested from europe were via the united states which of course people couldn't use so even even um like people that should have known better don't realize those facts I, I do actually recall that particular article, and yes, there were a number of examples in that particular article that were very, 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 very poorly thought out. Um, and a lot of the the figures that we are in that are in the article are quite inflated as well. And so, you know, there's a lot of these sort of uh, catches to be well aware of if you're booking online. Um, as far as booking directly with the airline, uh, there's nothing wrong with booking directly with the airline. Um, in fact, um, you know, on some of the Facebook groups, I've seen a lot of people recommend that you book directly with the airline. It does make it a lot easier, and you cut out cut out um, you know 
having to deal with an overseas call center uh, in regards to issues if you particularly if you do get bumped um, although some uh, some airline call centers can be tough to get through to as well um, booking with an actual travel agent as an actual human um, from you know, particularly independent travel agents uh, you know, can be advantageous you know, we do have access to more seats sometimes uh, we do have a number of contacts at airlines. We often know a lot of, um, you know, a lot of internal contacts that um, the public wouldn't have access to. And sometimes this, you know, this can be very useful in getting someone home, uh, particularly if you've got a more complex situation, uh, particularly families. Uh, families, it's a, uh, it can be a great benefit because uh, children are exempt from the arrivals caps. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if you've only got, uh, you know, if it's two adults and two kids, the kids are actually don't, they actually count towards the arrivals caps. And so, if you've got a scenario where you look, you're actually looking for four seats online or with, um, you know, with an airline website, you may not realize that, you know, in this case, you know, we can potentially, as an agent, we can actually push a case to the airline and go, look, we know we can get two seats for adults, but we need two more seats for the kids. But the kids we know don't count to the arrivals caps. Can we get this approved? And these are scenarios where travel agents, like, um, at least, you know, the brick and mortar um, independent agents can be very useful because these sort of scenarios may well get you home much sooner than you know, if you simply tried to book yourself. Yeah. So just to reiterate, you're saying that travel agents like yourself might have access to a few extra seats that might not be available to the general public. Correct. Um, on top of that, we have other, um, you know, other things that we can possibly do. Uh, you know, we, uh, some agents may have automation tools to look for seats, um, you know, to, if they find, uh, you know, if they find a seat, they, uh, they can grab it for you. Uh, you know, it could be three in the morning whilst you're sleeping, they might find a seat. You know, and that that very well may may well be your ticket home. Um, there's other scenarios where you know we can um, we can get on a uh, we can uh, put you on a waiting list for seats, and these will ultimately clear before they appear to the general public. So you know, by being on a wait list, you would get, potentially get the seat before someone would find it on an airline website. Well, that's really good to know. So, I mean, I know a lot of people will probably. Uh, don't use travel agents all the time, but if you are trying to come back to Australia, it sounds like a really good idea to, um, yeah, to to use a human being <laughs> in helping you with that. Uh, now, just just finally, Alan, I wanted to ask you: it's obviously been a pretty tough year for the travel industry, and that includes travel agents. Uh, how how's the year been for you? Uh, it's been very interesting, actually. Um, you know, uh, early twenty twenty, I was processing uh, refunds like crazy, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only got one outstanding refund now, actually, which is uh, fantastic. And uh, unfortunately, that airline is Qantas, um, <laughs> but, uh, which is of no surprise when, you know, it's pre- pretty widely known that uh, Qantas is taking six months plus for refunds at the moment. I thought you were uh, going to say otherwise... Lufthansa. No, actually, it was, uh, funnily enough, it's actually Qantas. Uh, Lufthansa refunds is much faster at the moment. Oh, good to know. So... Yes, um, surprisingly, they, they Lufthansa is actually going back to going back to allowing uh, travel agents to process their own refunds again, and so you know we can we can do those quite quickly now in comparison to Qantas, who still requires us to manually send in applications for a refund. Um, otherwise, it's been uh, it's been very different. You know, domestic travel obviously has been quite uh, down because of the uh, the internal border restrictions. Uh, international is obviously um, pretty much people coming home, and that's virtually all we're getting at the moment. Uh, we have some people who are also leaving the country uh, for various reasons. Some people relocating for work or to see uh, see loved ones um, and so forth. Um, but again, very few because you have to have an exemption to leave the country. Yeah, that's right. Many cruise bookings at the moment. Um, I don't think I've had a. Cru- I haven't seen a cruise booking for over a year. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I keep seeing the ads like in the in the weekend travel sections in the newspapers. You know, book a cruise now for next year or the year after. But no, no takers on um, at least for your business, I guess. 
no, I think I, uh, a lot of my passengers pretty uh, pretty sane about you know expectations with cruises, but um, I I'd s- certainly wouldn't even recommend booking a cruise. And um, if I was to get someone um, come and ask about booking a cruise, I would probably um, steer them away from doing so at the moment. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, well, Alan, if if there's anyone that would like to get in touch with you, perhaps they are um, an Australian trying to get back from overseas, how can they contact you? Uh, they can contact me by email. Uh, my email address is uh, Alan, so I'll spell that out. So at A L A N at netwavetravel.com. So that's N E T W A V E T R A V E L.com. Uh, and I'll endeavor to answer your inquiry as soon as possible. And you can also message me on Australian Frequent Fly if you are already a member and can send private messages. My uh, username on Australian Frequent Fly is Mad Rooster. So that's M A D R O O S T E R. Okay. I can vouch for Alan because he did help me to get back from Europe when the lockdowns began last year, and that was a great help. So if you um, are having trouble getting back, you might want to get in touch. Well, Alan, thanks once again for coming on the AFF on Air podcast. Appreciate your insights. Thank you again, Matt. By the way, if you'd like any more information about this interview or how Alan may be able to help you to get back to Australia, there's a link in the episode notes to an Australian Frequent Flyer forum post by Alan, which has some more details. And if you are overseas right now and trying to get back, I do realise how tough it is to get back to Australia at the moment and how much stress you're probably under. And it's certainly not a great situation for anyone, and I really do hope you are able to get home very soon. If you're enjoying the AFF On Air podcast and the Australian Frequent Flyer website, please do consider becoming an AFF supporter. For $50 a year, silver supporters see no ads on the Australian Frequent Flyer website. And for $75 a year, gold supporters also get additional benefits, including generous discounts on travel goods and services. And to acknowledge your contribution, you'll also get an AFF supporter banner beside your forum posts. Plus, for a limited time, AFF has a special offer for first-time members. If you'd like just to get a taste of AFF membership, you can also become a bronze supporter for 30 days. This normally costs $6 for 30 days, but it's now available just for a short time for $2. So what are you waiting for? Become an AFF supporter now for as little as $2 by visiting australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash upgrade. And of course, by becoming an AFF supporter, you'll also be supporting this podcast and helping to keep me in a job. And if you already do have a paid AFF membership, Thanks very much on behalf of all of us at Australian Frequent Flyer for your ongoing support. We really do appreciate it. You might recall at the end of 2020, in episode 50 of this podcast, I discussed at some length how to continue earning points for tax payments made to the ATO by credit card after St George became the last major bank in Australia to stop awarding points for payments to the tax office. The main trick going forward now that most credit cards in Australia don't award points for government payments is to use a business-to-business payment service. Those are things like B2B pay, reward pay, or yak pay. Basically, with these services, you do have to pay a small payment fee, but you can pay the ATO using one of those services, and you'll still get the full points for your credit card spend. Now, when I recorded episode 50 last year, the payment service with the lowest fees for American Express payments in Australia was Credit Rewards, and they charge a 1.81% payment surcharge plus a fee of $1 per transaction. But since then, a new player has entered the market and become an even better option for Amex payments to the government. 
SNIP, now that's spelled S-N-I-I-P, charges a 1.5% payment fee for all credit card payments, and that price includes GST, and there's no other fees involved that I'm aware of. Now, 1.5% is not that great if you're paying by MasterCard or Visa. You can pay using another service like YakPay in that case, and it's a bit cheaper. But it's now the best rate in the market, in Australia anyway, for American Express payments. Now, as a point of comparison, the ATO itself charges a 1.45% Amex surcharge. So when you pay the ATO directly with an Amex card, it's 1.45%, and uh, you only earn points potentially at a reduced rate or not at all. So 1.5% with SNP and the ability to earn full points on your credit card spend is pretty good. Now, a few AFF members have already tried using SNP recently, and some some I might mention have had a few issues, for example, with getting an invoice, um, and there's a few other sort of teething problems like that. But um, overall, it seems to be working pretty well, and if you have an American Express card, you might want to check them out. Well, that's just about all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Alan Lamb, and thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.